Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Rasick. What is going on, Amazon seller? And welcome back to the Clear the Shelf podcast with myself and my sedulous co-host, Chris Rasick. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, Eric Castellano of Amazon Lit. Uh, I'm sure that many of you have uh, have seen him on Instagram, uh, on Twitter, uh, and maybe in person. I know we finally got to meet in person uh, down at the Miami Seller Conference, which uh, was fantastic. Um and uh, they run a, a wholesale operation that's uh, quite large. Uh, you might, actually, I think you are the biggest seller that we've had on the podcast so far. Cool. Uh, and, uh, and I know you guys have a course and a community uh, that comes pretty highly praised. Uh, and so we're stoked to have you here. I appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out with us, man. Yeah, excited to be here, fellas. Looking yeah. forward to you know diving deeper into some Amazon stuff. Absolutely. So our goal uh, is to get Eric to spill as many processes, strategies, and secrets that we can get him to do over the next 45 minutes or so. But before we dive in, you know this show's not free. We don't hide this show behind a paywall. Uh, We don't make you opt in for anything, but that doesn't mean it won't cost you anything. If you find some value in this episode, please give us the equivalent of a digital handshake Hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player or smash the like and subscribe button over on YouTube uh, to not only juice the algorithm a little bit, but also to just Chris's and I's ego just a touch. Uh, when we see the podcast rise in the charts, uh, we see the number of sub- subscribers go up, to the, uh, go up on YouTube. It gives us just enough of a dopamine hit to keep coming back and doing this uh, for you guys. So let's go ahead and let's, let's dive in. Um, Eric, I always like to start with a, a little bit of a softball question. Mm-hmm. Who's your best supplier? Oh. <laughs> no, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to chat about that. <laughs> but for, I do. I want to set the table a little bit, and uh, and not everyone may know your story and and how big of an operation you guys are running. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what got you started on Amazon, and maybe a bit of a brief background. Uh, before you uh, before you guys got where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my best friend, who uh, a lot of you listening may know, Sebastian, he's also my business partner. Um, you know, he started selling products out of his basement. It, it'll almost be 10 years in July. It will be 10 years. So he started in his basement buying from club stores. And in the beginning, I've known Sebastian for 25 years. And in the beginning, when I saw it and he showed me his basement, I laughed and I I just thought I was like, this guy's a jokester, you know, like nobody's what is he doing? And uh, a year later, he quit his job. And then I started working for him in his warehouse as a packer. Um, and then I just worked my way up to buying and management and then became the COO. And it's just been a lot of grinding and uh, a lot of effort and building teams and systems and struggles and late nights and early mornings and warehouse moves and um, growth experienced in the past decade since we started this operation. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You guys, 
You guys moved into a new warehouse not too long ago, right? Yeah, a couple, like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How how big of a place you guys have now? Uh, it's a little shy of 40K, so it's about 40,000 square feet. Yeah, that's that's wow. massive. So yeah. I've, I've got to ask, uh, just so we can set the table for everybody, what are your what do you think your estimated annual sales are going to be for 2023? Hey guys, I'm interrupting this episode to take a moment to thank our sponsor Proven Prep Center for helping us grow the show. Kyle and his team over at Proven Prep Center ensure fast shipping with a set day for your products to be shipped to Amazon, flat rate pricing so you won't be nickeled and dimed for poly bags and other prep items, and they're located in sales tax-free Oregon, and they work with both small and large sellers. They've got low minimum quantity requirements, but also will offer you volume discounts as you grow with them as part of your team. If you want to learn a little bit more about Proven Prep Center, head over to cleartheshelf.com forward slash prep. Now back to the show. Yeah, we're shooing for 75, so 75, 75 million. 75 yeah. million. That's, that's incredible. And, and that, that seals it. You are the biggest seller we've had on the podcast so far. So that's good. I, and pro- yeah. profitable, profitable. So during this talk, we're going to talk a lot about sales revenue, and it's always... Keep in mind profitable sales revenue. It has to be, or just perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So let's let's kind of dive into the the shallow end first. So we're predominantly an arbitrage focused show. That's kind of what I've done uh, my whole career on Amazon. I know that's what Chris uh, has done his whole career on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you kind of tell us a little bit about uh, what wholesale looks like? And without giving anything sensitive away, you know, how does it compare? to that six unit test buy or, or that 12 purchase uh, limit, you know, like at Walgreens from a volume perspective, you know, what kind of what kind of things are you guys doing differently now that you're wholesale rather than arbitrage? Yeah, so it's essentially just arbitrage on steroids, right? It's it's eliminating the middleman, which in, in a lot of cases is retail stores, right? Uh, whether it's re- online arbitrage or re- retail arbitrage, because you get those limitations and going straight to a distributor, manufacturer, supplier, brand that carries those products and being able to purchase them in larger volume at a lot of times, even cheaper prices than they could be purchased at in those retail stores or from those online stores. It just really creates a whole new opportunity for you to really move a lot of volume in units. You know, so it really it's it's changed the game for us because we started with retail arbitrage, you know, going to big club stores. And we did that multiple times a day for years. And it's a hustle. And we knew they're like, we're like, there had to be a better way. Absolutely. So just because I'm curious, when you guys were doing the retail arbitrage side, did you guys get to the point where you had other buyers going out for you or was it you guys doing everything? No, so we went a little different. We ended up building relationships with the with the retail stores and really more purchasing from our desktop at home, our ca- from the catalog and placing orders and picking them up. So we didn't have to go do the van trips anymore. Um, once really Sebastian and myself moved into that first warehouse out of that basement, you know, we had relationships with these management at some of these club stores like BJ's and Sam's Club, and we would just go pick pallets up. Fantastic. Yeah, that's I 
even though we've talked about that on the show before, I still think that that's something that a lot of people who are still doing retail arbitrage, uh, I don't know whether they discount it or it's, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable to, to shake hands and kiss babies and bring donuts yeah. uh, and things yeah. like that to, to make those relationships. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, it, it is. And that's why it's so lucrative because not many people are willing to put in the, the effort to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, takes exactly. takes a special type of person to, to savvy a manager into backdooring some products out of a big retail store. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, and that you know that that strategy we've talked about that. Uh, you know, like Chris just mentioned. You know, even that example right there is, you know, simply a, your network and and relationships on steroids as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like if anyone needed a bigger example of the importance of talking to a store manager and, and becoming friendly. You know, we're talking about like, you know, a closeout store trying to get access to the back room where, you know, this is even bigger. You know, you, you can even yeah. open your eyes wider and and you're taking pallets, you know, straight out the back. I mean, that's if that's not an example of the power of networking, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what is. So uh, yeah. that's great. Um, so my the first question is, uh, a bit rhetorical and it's it's not on the sheet but how cool is that photo that you guys posted on instagram uh, what was it like a five-year time lapse there was like it, it, it's from like a an elevated position i don't know if there's a catwalk or something but it was uh-huh. like on this date and then like you did another one five years later and your warehouse yeah. is just jam-packed with even more yeah. stuff like yeah. that's such a such a cool photo um yeah so that's yeah. not really a question but I no, it is cool. And, and, <laughs> and Chris, it's funny you bring that up because Sebastian is a, I love the guy, right? He always helps me level up and, and I'm super, I'm more on the conservative side when it comes to grow, growing the business. I'm like, listen, let's run the numbers, right? If the numbers make sense, then absolutely. And Sebastian's like, he's the guy, like, he's like, F it. Let's just do it, right? So he's, the way he see it, he's like, let's move into this 40,000 square foot space, put our back to the wall. We'll be forced to fill it. We'll be forced to grow, forced to build new relationships. So it's like, I love that you said that because that's the same thing we did five years ago when that first photo was taken five years later. And now we're going to do it all over again. Yeah. yeah I read something about, uh, they were talking about genius. And and it, it basically the gist of the quote was, you know, geniuses are the ones who decide to do it and say they'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. You know, so, so that's a that's a good example there. But uh, all right. So back to the sheet, uh, you know, the official questions that yeah, we had lined yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, can you can you give us a breakdown or uh, some insight into uh, when you scout new suppliers? Like like yeah. what that looks like? How do you how do you choose who to go after? Yeah. So um, it's a volume game, the supplier research aspect. So two things. One, it's the hardest, it's the barrier of entry for wholesale. It's the reason why most people will give up and stop. Um, it's, it's the reason why most people quit after, you know, four or five, six months. Um, but it's it's a volume game. So I think the best way to get started is through keyword Google searches. You know, I'm sure you heard people say it a million times. I'll say it again. Start local because it's you don't have to pay for shipping if it's local, right? You get to build the relationship in person if it's local. Local with keyword researches, you know, grocery suppliers, Chicago, grocery wholesalers, Chicago, health and beauty distributors, Chicago, right? And then you branch out from there and you're not calling any of these. You're just creating lists of like, if you could get 50 to 100 on one list and then 
you sit down and you call them all or email them because you'll be in the flow of doing it. You know. Nice. I like that. Is yeah. <clears throat> when you are when you're building that supplier list is. Are there any key characteristics that you're looking for in a potential supplier before you even call them? And, and if so, what are those characteristics to look out for? Yeah, so it's tough because, you know, some of the best suppliers I've met, they they have the shittiest websites, mm. you know, and then some of our really great suppliers have some of the best websites. So you can't really go like, is it a good website? Is it a bad website? But what I'm looking for what I'm looking on Google is just for any brand, any indication of brand name products. So basically anything you'd see at a CVS or a Walgreens or a Rite Aid, any of those brand names, if they're on that website, I want to at least contact that vendor and, and try to get a catalog. hundred percent. Nice. Cause you don't know who the sleepers are, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, uh, so say, you know, so you've got the list and you know, you're at the phone, you pick up the phone, like, or maybe even a trade show. Uh, what is that cold approach? Like, how do you, what does that, what does that phone call sound like? How do you prepare for it? And, and, you know, like what's your, what's your strategy going in right from the jump? Yeah. So I don't overcomplicate it. Hey, this is Eric Castellano from Amazon lit. I operate a large retail distribution company. Um, very interested in opening an account with your company. Can you please send over our account catalog? as long as any other applications that you need me to fill out, right? So don't overthink it. Don't, you don't got to put Amazon seller in the email and that could be a phone call template or an email, same exact thing, right? You're just, it's just a connection between you and another person. So very straightforward. Nice. Nice. Keeping it simple. Yeah. Yeah, but they're going to say no. A lot of them are going to respond and say no. <laughs> yeah. So in, as a little offshoot from that, I think that might be one of the things that, that holds a lot of people back. You know, getting a no can feel like you know, getting a knife in the heart sometimes. Yeah. Uh, now, I've got a sales background. Uh, so to me, no is fuel. How do, you, how do you become that person? How do, you, how do you become the person that's like, all right, I got a no here. I got another 50 people to call. Let's keep at this because eventually someone's going someone's gonna to cave. Someone's going to give in and give me an account. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about how to stay persistent in between that time where you get told no six times and then that final yes comes because it's tough to stay persistent. Um, but it's really all about the follow through. What I like to keep in mind is like whenever anybody tells me no, I understand it's a no for today in this moment. I don't know what's going on in their life. Something crazy could have happened in their family. They could have had the shittiest day. Maybe you sent them an email. At a time something important just happened, they popped it open, didn't read it, whatever the case may be. A no is simply that, a no today. Doesn't mean no in 30 days, no in 60 days, no in 90 days. It's all nice. about the follow-through. Yeah. So, and, and so that's a, that's a great segue to my next question is, I, I would imagine that you guys have this as a process in your business now. So what does the process for follow-up look like in, in your guys' operation? Yeah. Yeah. So 30 day reminders, right? If I reach out to a wholesaler or supplier and I don't hear a response, like I'm talking, if I don't hear a response, I'm, I'm following up through a phone call immediately within seven days, right? So we use a CRM to manage all of these emails that go out so we could set up workflows, right? A great example of a CRM you could use is like Asana is good. Um, and I'm sure there's some other great ones out there. We use HubSpot, but it's dumb expensive. 
I love HubSpot. Yeah, I don't suggest getting HubSpot. Uh, But you can set up workflows where it's like, all right, if I email this supplier, right, and they don't open the email, right, then it will send them the immediate, the same email or different email with a different heading the next day, right? Because the the CRM will let you know if they even opened it. And if they opened it, how long they spent reading it. So now you're getting all this inside data about what they're doing with the email. So if they opened it and they read it for, you know, 60 seconds, like you want to jump on that and respond immediately. They're hot right now. You know, so um, but then if they if they give me a firm no, like if they s- respond to my email to my phone call and they say, Eric, we're we're not open any new Amazon accounts right now, then I'm following up every thirty days. Fantastic, nice, yeah. So once uh, once you get uh, a yes or, or you you know you get your foot in the door, uh, you know whatever that looks like, how do you how do you go about? Uh, as far as looking in for characteristics and once you get the catalog, how do you decide uh, what to buy? Yeah. So once again, you're going in there with the mentality that you're shopping for your girlfriend or boyfriend at Rite Aid and CVS and they need all their staples. So you're looking for brand names, the Revlons, the Maybellines, the Head and Shoulders, the Mitchum deodorants, the Olays, right? Like name brand consumable products. Food is great as well. Um, those are the products that you should be catching your eye on, right? And then the next thing to compare is versus Amazon with pricing. Because if it's not profitable, then it doesn't make sense to go through a, a 10,000 line item catalog. You know, so what I like to do is pop around, pop open a few listings and see if the pricing is even worth going through this entire catalog. Because if the pricing doesn't make sense, then it just doesn't make sense. And something that can expedite that process is a UPC scraper like Scan Unlimited. Um, source correct, tactical arbitrage. They, they all have uh, UPC scrapers as well. How much? <clears throat> how much are you guys utilizing UPC scrapers compared to manually going through the? I mean, I, I know that like manually going through them is going to be the best, but I also know that time is money, and you guys are yeah. you guys are looking for a volume play. Uh, yeah. So I guess I guess what does that process look like and how many people on your team are going through uh, manifests? Yeah. So uh, the, the UPC scraper is such an important uh, integral part of the process, so much so that we built our own nice. um, to, be, to be more efficient and optimized for our business. Because the ones on the market, don't get me wrong, they're great. But what they don't do is they don't store and save data. Right. So if you scrape a catalog today and you update the pack size to a four pack and you go scrape a different catalog in that same product, it's not a four pack. You have to update it all over again to a four pack. It's very, very tedious. Um, but here's the thing, whether it's RUPC scraper or a one on the market currently, they're just tools. Right. So they're not like end all be all solutions. You're not going to find every product in UPC. Or a lot of people get real frustrated, you know, when they put together an order and they're like, why is it so small? I use this scraper. It's like, that's the first step in the process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, are you guys, uh, I would imagine, are you guys use, using Keepa and things like that to, uh, to make sourcing decisions? Hell yes. Hell okay. yes. hundred percent. Without a doubt. It's number one, number one software. And so since you guys are, are, you know, you guys are about volume, uh, obviously. Uh, what are the characteristics in, say, a Keepa graph or a product that you're looking for? Uh, you know, when it comes to buy box history, number of sellers, and and things like that. Yeah. So 
I'm usually looking for if Amazon's on it, I like to see them less than 80% in the buy box. Um, I like to see a consistent, usual three plus sellers on the listing when I look at the past year with no crazy drop offs on the third keep a chart where there's the offer count. Um, I like to see a consistent pricing. We're at the lowest consistent minimum price that it's listed. I'm profitable at my price, right? So let's say the lowest consistent price is $1.50 in profit, gross profit. Like that makes me feel much more comfortable buying that product because that's saying in the past year, the 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 least amount of money I'll make is a buck fifty. That's real comfort. Um, and then we're looking for some of the big guys, you know, who sell on on some of these listings um, for any potential brand direct or exclusive relationships where they may be gating the brand in the future. So sometimes you can keep an eye on a trend that's happening where some big sellers might be taking on certain brands. Um, but yeah, other than that, we're making sure the BSR is consistent and we're, 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 we're buying the products. You, you bring up some of those, uh, brand direct sellers. Uh, <clears throat> so are you a fan of companies like Spreetail or do you think that they're, uh, think that they're kind of a pain in the ass? Um, it's both. Like, I think they're doing a great service for the companies that they help um, when they're when they're dedicating the time. What happens is sometimes these companies, they onboard a lot of brands at once and they don't really spend the time to fix the current brands. So they have a handful of brands that are like half optimized instead of full optimized, mm -hmm. which makes me frustrated because I'm, I'm thinking about the brand. Um, but as far as from a consumer, like a, like what they're doing from a business perspective, I think, listen, I think it helps Amazon sellers in general because it cleans up Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're seeing a shift happening where in the next two to five years, I think about 25% of my sales are going to be brand direct relationships. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to write that down because I'm going to circle back to that. Yeah. So um, as far as like a business plan goes, um, once you find the products that you want to get and you actually get them in your warehouse, um, what's like the average length of time that you're comfortable holding inventory and, uh, how do you decide it's time to liquidate? Yeah. So we, we purchase inventory for approximately 30 days, you know, typical, we'll do three to five weeks, which right in the middle, 28 days to 30 days is our typical inventory standpoint. Now, um, usually after 60 days is when we start reviewing the products for price drops. And sometimes we'll review them prior to that, but 60 is when it really, when we get a notification, like this product's been in stock for 60 days, what's going on? Um, and I'd love to tell you, we just dropped the price, but we don't, right? Each, each ASIN is looked at individually on a case by case basis, because there could just be one seller who's got two, three days of inventory left and he's going to sell out and I'm going to be back at my price. But I dropped my price and now I'm the new seller at that low price and now everybody else goes down there. So it's like we analyze them case by case. So it can get very tedious and we built out a team for that. Definitely. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, again, that, that's another example. Like, like that's what I do with my repricer like once a week. It's, you know, I yeah. don't just go in and, and you know, go within within the repricer you got to pull it up and because you're you're yeah. absolutely right whether you're doing arbitrage or doing 75 yeah. million in wholesale you know there there are those circumstances you know like across the board automation isn't the answer yeah. you know like yeah. actually digging in uh can make yeah. you make you money or salvage profit mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. there's this 
we, we know that there are a lot of myths across Amazon selling in general. Uh, yeah. and, and one of those big myths when it comes to wholesale is that the margins are going to be slimmer. So yeah. can you address that? Is, is that true, uh, at all? And, uh, or have you seen it be the case? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's less about the, the business model and more about the scale of which you're operating the business at, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you were to build an, a retail arbitrage business to five, $7 million a year, your margins would be much slimmer, right? Same as if you're operating a wholesale business, but typical gross margins on a wholesale business are right around 16 to 22%, right? So we ended 2022 right around a 19, 19% gross profit margin, which is very healthy. And then obviously yeah. from that, you got to take out all your expenses, labor, warehouse, shipping, all that stuff. So um, you figure you cut that at about half, um, maybe take 60% off. Yeah, that's that's solid though. Uh, you know, A lot of people who get into reselling, they don't realize how most large resellers, and I'm talking Walmart, Target, you know, et cetera, how slim their margins actually are because of the retail spaces they're paying for, et cetera. Uh, and when I tell people that Walmart's, Walmart's margins are 3%, people yeah. don't believe me. Uh, so, yeah. you know, having 19% gross margins is incredibly healthy. Uh, yeah. That's great. It, it, it's funny you bring that up because I just saw a post about that today and it had, you know, Walmart was at three, Amazon crazy was at like seven, um, but it had like all these big Fortune 500 companies and their their operating margins, which is mm -hmm. which is just crazy. It was, but you're right. I rather take three percent on seventy. I rather take one percent, you know, on on a hundred million dollars than take a hundred percent on a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> all day. All day. So uh, how often are you using net terms and uh, how, how do you decide between cash credit or other forms of uh, financing? Yeah, so I, we use net terms as frequently as the suppliers will offer. Um, so it's really, it's really from building the relationship and spending money that they give net terms. But if they offer them, you wanna jump on them because essentially it's free money mm -hmm. um, for, especially if you get over net 30, like we have a few suppliers who do net 45 um, I don't have any net 60s, which would be amazing. Um, but like a net 45, you could essentially get the inventory, send it to Amazon, start selling it, get a disbursement back, and pay the supplier back with the money you made from the inventory. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, I, are there is there anybody that does net 60? I don't know if I've ever even seen that out there. Uh, at least not for. Brand direct. If you get like a medium sized brand, they might be comfortable giving you net 60. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so when, when you're out there talking to, you know, your sales guy at a distributor or, or at a brand or, or whatever it is, uh, how do you know when to push for discounts, whether it's volume discounts or maybe they're, uh, clearing something out, whatever it is, uh, I guess, how do you, how do you navigate those waters to make sure that you don't alienate your supplier, but you also are making sure you get the best price for your business? Yeah. So I think it's important to point out that if pricing doesn't make sense from the rip, then I'm not waiting to place a first order to request a discount. I'm placing it from the rip. 
because either way, whether I don't place it, I'm not getting any products. And if I request a discount and they say, no, I'm not getting any products. But at least if I submit the order and request a discount and they hopefully say yes, I have a shot in hell at getting some product, right? But if you don't submit, you don't ask, you don't know. Um, but usually third, second or third order, you know, preferably third to fourth order, really like to, to start requesting discounts. And I like to do it a little differently. I like to just submit the order with the discounts that I'm, I'm asking for. So let's say the product in the catalog is five bucks. I'll send the order over with the product for 50, right? I'll just say, say, hey, this is the this is the pricing I'm, I'd like. If you could meet me at this price or at least get close to it, that would be greatly appreciated. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like that sending over a, a a PO along with a discount that you need to make it make sense. Uh, that's kind of nice because then they've got it ready to take your order and there's no you don't necessarily have to go back and forth. It could either be a no or uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's push this thing through. I, I like that. Yeah. And you can pick and choose. Like you could only pick the ones that you're ordering over a certain amount of quantity that you'll request a discount at. The one you're getting one or two cases of, like don't request it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I know you, you kind of talked about uh, kind of building like your, your customer avatar, you know, as far as uh, like brand names. Is, is that the extent of your niche, like, like brand name recognizability, or, uh, do you have a, a particular niche or is it, is it basically any brand name that sells? No, pretty much any brand name that sells that can make a couple bucks on, but what we do, our primary focus is in grocery and, uh, health and beauty. Um, that is our, definitely our primary focus. It's just because the they're consumables. So like a, a bottle of shampoo, I know that customer is going to come back every two months you know, 45 to 60 days in order of shampoo. Food, I know maybe every week, a lot of these customers get subscribe and save on the food and every week they're getting an order shipped. You know, I got one skew. I was just on the phone with Amazon, my account rep the other day on, uh, on Thursday. And I have a skew that has over 1,200 subscribe and save members on a monthly basis, which is crazy. That's automatic 1,200 orders, right? And it's like, that is it's because it's a food and people love it. Like you can't get that with a, a CD player or a boom box or a, right. you know, or a pair of shoes or a, a piece of piece of clothing or a toy. But with food, you can get those reorders. Interesting. Yeah, I like one. that. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I, I, know that, I know that you spend some time on social media. I spend way too much time there and it, I don't know. I, I've noticed these trends or, or these cycles, you know, over and over and over. Uh, and people kind of go through. They they uh, they start with books and and then they move to retail arbitrage and then uh, or OA. And it's not too long. Uh, and wholesale becomes kind of the the thing that everyone is is talking about. And we're in that cycle again. If you spend any time on Twitter, I I love Twitter. That's my favorite place to spend time on. Uh, everyone's like, oh, well, you know what if if you're not rocking wholesale yet, you're a loser. Uh, so I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think that uh, some ambitious beginners are maybe rushing into wholesale uh, too quickly, number one? And then two, uh, if that's the case, do you think that those folks might be irritating account managers at some of the easier to find distributors and wholesalers? 
Uh, I think those account managers are just always getting bombarded with emails, whether it's whether it's a, a season of wholesale or not. They are just constantly, constantly getting bombarded. Um, so I really don't think I really don't think it's an issue. Um, what was part one to the question? Uh, do you think that do you think that some ambitious, uh, you know, Amazon sellers are maybe rushing into wholesale too fast? Uh, uh, no. So so here's the thing, right? I think it's perfectly cool if you want to rush into wholesale. But here's the thing. You got to have some experience because if you rush into wholesale, you're just going to lose a bigger bag than if you were to rush into RA or OA without experience, right? Because RA, OA, you can invest a couple hundred bucks, really learn the game, get some products, ship them to Amazon, deal with customer returns, your first disbursement, understand the shipping fees. But with wholesale, if you're placing an order, you're putting a, you know, fifteen hundred, two grand, twenty five hundred up. So it depends on how bad you want to get burned. I always say learn the game a little bit, or at least you know find somebody to show you the game before you go jump it into really anything. Mm -hmm. So you you talked about uh, the progression of uh, starting in Sebastian's basement and then uh, uh, different warehouses and whatnot. Uh, at some point along the line, there had to be a consideration of keeping the prep in-house versus a prep center. How'd you go about yeah. that decision? Yeah. Um, so for us, it was quite, it was two things. It was really mainly one thing. Um, it's just kind of the route that we took and, and it was initially quality control for us, right? Because it, when we first started nine, 10 years ago, there wasn't many prep centers or any really prep centers. It was Amazon prep. Right. And they would take a long time to prep your unit. So like we got the first warehouse is really a solution for quality control and to ensure how quickly our products were being packaged and sent to Amazon. Because if I'm relying on a prep center or Amazon prep to package my goods, I have little to no say in the speed in which they do so. You know, but when I own take on ownership of that process, I am now responsible for the speed in which those are produced. So when I can expedite that process, it just makes me more money, more consistent. Um, so it, it was for us, it just kind of happened naturally. And, and now when we run the numbers, we're continuing to pr produce, you know, right around a dollar a unit to get to get everything out the, the warehouse, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's solid. Tough to beat. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm curious kind of what your guys' day-to-day operation looks like. Uh, I don't know how many employees you guys have, you know, or how many people are working the prep line, but, uh, you know, when, when you're in there looking down on what you guys have built, uh, what does that, what does that workflow look like, uh, you know, for your business? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few different processes that happen simultaneously at, at our workplace every day. Um, the first two processes are shipping and receiving. Um, every single day, we send a full truckload to Amazon, Monday through Sunday, uh, or Monday through Saturday, excluding Sunday. Um, so every day, there's a full truckload going out, and every day, we have anywhere from four to eight incoming truckloads dropping inventory off. So we have an entire shipping and receiving team that's just moving inventory in and out the warehouse, right? Checking incoming inventory for discrepancies versus invoicing to make sure what we paid for, we received, and then communicating those discrepancies with our buyers who placed the order so they could communicate any shortages, overages, damages with the, with the supplier who shipped the order to us. 
Um, and then while that shipping and receiving is simultaneously happening, we also have prep stations. So we have about 30 prep employees and their goal is to package Amazon to, or package ASINs to be sold to end customers on Amazon. So three packs, six packs, variety packs, single label ASINs, whatever the case may be, their goal is to package them efficiently. And while, they're, while all that's happening, we have a team of what we call pickers who are moving these products from these staging areas to shipping to the packaging stations and they're just funneling them throughout the warehouse as all of these different parts move along. Fantastic. Kind of yeah. makes sense up here. I hope it makes sense to talk. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I can only imagine. How many, how many employees do you guys have at your warehouse today? Um, in the warehouse, maybe 35. Okay. Uh, so, I, and I'm always curious because I mean, you came from a retail arbitrage background and I know you guys were doing things a little bit differently then, you know, you guys were in a basement, but how does one grow to such a, uh, an operation like you guys have, uh, and figure out along the way, you know, how to run kind of a, a lean prep center uh, essentially, yeah. you know, how, how do you figure that out when I, I don't know, I, I'm not that smart. And, and when I look over, you know, like how to build a, a spaghetti map, I just, my eyes glaze over. Yeah, so so two things, Chris and Chris. Um, the first is I visited a lot of warehouses and built a lot of great relationships with some of the suppliers I've done business with over the years. And fortunate enough for me, some of those companies that I built relationships, some of those owners took me under their wing. Like this guy in New Jersey, Eddie, you know, he took me under his wing and he taught me a lot about warehousing and he showed me his warehouse and why he sets up his employees in these positions and how he moves inventory from one area to the other. Right. And he really ran a lot of game for me and Sebastian. And because he was local to us, I was able to go there, you know, a couple of times a month and pop in. And uh, and it was a really cool experience. The second thing that I can attribute a lot of this to is I have absolutely no problem paying people. Um, who understand things, a lot of money in order for them to show me exactly how it needs to be done. You know, we've invested millions into our inventory management system, paying large companies to come teach us, you know, how to do these things. I've invested multiple six figures a year for live consulting and in-person coaching from some of the people I look up to. So I attribute a lot of the way I think and the systems that I implemented and Sebastian as well, because he's my right hand man. A lot of it's to the people we surround ourselves. I, I love that. I actually, I think I saw a, a post on Instagram uh, of you at maybe a mastermind in Costa Rica not too not too long ago. Uh, yeah, the guy who I think is uh, is a really good marketer. So yeah, that's yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great investment, man. Yeah, just that that itself. That's like I don't know what it is. It's it's multiple ten figures, right? Or well, not multiple ten, multiple five figures. Like fifty, sixty thousand dollars. That guy's inner circle, right? But here's yeah. the thing: within it's a it's a twelve month program. Within the first phone call, if I never spoke to anybody ever again, if the the hour phone call was all I got for that fifty thousand dollars, I would have been a hundred percent satisfied with the service. In, in, in a 60 minute phone call changed my that's life that's amazing that 60 Interesting. minute phone call changed my absolute my entire life fantastic that's a heck of an endorsement 
<laughs> so, uh, so you're almost, I, I imagine like doing that, that kind of volume, you know, you, you're projected for 75 million. Um, <laughs> that's, it's a side that's a scaling uh, of, uh, I mean, I hope to have that problem someday. But uh, how do you manage the the cash flow when when you're scaling that much and and that fast? Yeah, so we get we got a CFO to pay the pay the bills. You know, we get we get a professional to get in. And for us, it's it's Sebastian's uncle, Humble Ted. Um, you know, he worked at uh, um, in Thomas's English Muffins for 30, 40 years. So he, he had a lot of experience in the game. So we, we brought him in to do, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable. Um, but essentially what we like to keep on stock in Amazon is whatever expected monthly sales is. So let's say for, for what, 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 three in April. So for April, we're going to do about $5.5 million in sales, right? We keep about 130% of that in stock and that will be, our 100% of sales. So in order for us to do that 5.5, we'll have to keep about 7 million in sales revenue in inventory um, in order to do about 5.5. So it's about 130%. So if you want to do 100K a month, you'd have to keep about 130K um, in sales. Interesting. And, and of course, you can tell me to pound sand if you like this question, but... Uh, I guess how how important has things like business loans and lines of credit and and things like that helped scale or have you guys done cash the the whole way? No, definitely not cash. The business was started with cash, a couple thousand bucks, but um, we we then moved to credit cards, which I highly mm -hmm. recommend. I'm sure a lot of you are currently using today. You know, Amex Plum is great. They give you a 60 day grace period. Um, Sapphire, Chase Sapphire is good. There's some great cards out there. Do your research. Um, and then we moved to Amazon Lending. Amazon got real aggressive, offering us, you know, initially 50,000 and a couple hundred thousand and 750,000. And before we knew it, they were giving us million dollar loans, you know, three, four times a year. It was crazy. Um, and they were probably at the same interest rates they're offering them for you now. I know you guys are getting them twenty five, fifty thousand dollars of you know through Marcus or whatever it is. It's eight percent, six and a half, nine percent. Like you got to think about it like this: if you can use that cash to buy inventory and flip it, right, and you have access to the inventory, take that loan, use it to build your business, turn it around, flip it. It's worth it, even at that seven or eight or nine percent. It's worth it if you're buying the right product. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then we went to uh, a private, we went to an SBA loan. We mm -hmm. took out a, an SBA loan, which we needed collateral to put up on um, yeah. with Sebastian, and uh, Sebastian took care of that. Awesome. Are there, are there any questions that you get asked often uh, that you, you find are either really helpful, your answers are really helpful, or maybe something we didn't think about asking uh, that might help the audience? Um. Something that you didn't ask that you should have asked. Oh, trade shows. I think we should talk a little bit about trade shows and the importance Perfect. of trade shows for anybody trying to scale this out. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know what trade show is, essentially a trade show is um, a venue in which wholesalers, brands, manufacturers all go to one location to meet up a couple times a year. There's some great trade shows like ASD in Las Vegas, Expo West in Anaheim, Expo East in Philadelphia. 
the Sweets and Snacks Expo, which is actually happening in like two or three weeks in May in Chicago. Um, and it's these, these events are really cool because they're an opportunity for you to meet with these companies in person. So now you're not hiding behind an email. You're not hiding behind a phone. You actually get to spend time with these people. And it's going to teach you a lot about the industry, a lot about the game. So I encourage anybody listening, pop into a trade show, Google your local convention center. I'm sure they got one local to you. Drive over there, take a train, fly to one if you got to, but definitely make it a priority to get there. Nice. Uh, I'm going to throw this out there now. Hey, you you got about a year to think about it, all right? But <clears throat> next next year uh, when they run Global Pet Expo here in Orlando, uh, I'd love to like host a walkthrough with you. I think that would oh, be yeah. a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, we, we can consider making that happen. Perfect. That's a great show, too. You ever been? I, I keep meaning to go, and then I realize that it passed uh, every time yes. I go to, to figure out when it's, when it's happening. Yeah, that's a great show. That's a great show. So uh, where can, uh, final question, where, where can people find you and uh, learn, more about, uh, learn more about Amazon Lit? Yeah, so easiest place would be Instagram, Amazon Lit, also AmazonLit.com. Um, there's all of our resources are there. Very easy, user-friendly website. Um, so, you know, check us out. If you got any questions, send us a message on any of our socials and you'll get a quick response. And uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us. We, so we always, we always like to end the show with uh, the quote of the week. Chris and I are both uh, quote nerds uh, and, you know, we read a, a fair amount. So, uh, this week, the quote comes from a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Uh, and the quote is, the things that create success in the long run don't look like they're having any impact at all in the short run. Uh, mm. And uh, there's, a, there's a ton of things that can feel that way, especially when you're running an Amazon business. Uh, calling calling you know five wholesalers today and getting a bunch of no's may not feel like you're moving the ball forward in your business uh, but you extrapolate that out over the next week the next month the next six months uh, and you're not going to recognize where you are uh, mm. when you've done all these small things allowed to uh, to pile up over time so uh, that is the uh, that's the show today Eric I really appreciate you taking the time out and hanging out with us man uh, and uh, I think uh, this would be a great show for everybody to listen to. And for those of you who are are here, make sure to smash that like button. Do us a solid. Share this, uh, you know, on Instagram, on Twitter, if you got something out of it, uh, and get the the word out to a couple more people. All right, that's it this week, guys. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.